If you were to arrive home after the service this morning to find that your house is on fire, what of your possessions would you be most frightened of losing? There are things we own that aren't that valuable that we can replace quite easily. And while it's inconvenient to lose them, we know that they can be replaced. But there's things that we own that would be a real wrench to lose. But here's a deeper question. Is there any one item that you own that is so valuable to you that you could lose everything else, keep this one thing, and still be happy, glad, and joyful? You might wonder, does such a thing even exist? In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 52, Jesus tells three parables that describe the kingdom of God. The first focuses on a treasure that is found. The second focuses on a merchant that is seeking a treasure. And the third focuses on an irreversible split between people in this room. But before we look at the three short parables, we'll begin at the end. So look with me at the last few verses of the passage, verses 51 and 52. Jesus said to his disciples, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Something old, something new. Now what is a scribe? He would have been someone taught in Jewish law and the scriptures, what we have today is the Old Testament. And if he was on mastermind, his specialist subject would have probably been the Old Testament scriptures and he'd have probably done extremely well. So think of a scribe as like a master of a house who keeps in his house rare antiques of great value and he can bring them out and show you them and tell you everything about them. But here, Jesus is saying, if any scribe who knows the Old Testament truths and teachings is instructed and discipled and taught about the kingdom of heaven, well, they're like a master of a house who keeps rare antiquities and the most cutting edge technology. And he can bring out both of them, show you them and tell you all there is to know about both of these things. He can show you old things and he can show you new things. I find that fascinating how Jesus describes that. Because if someone says, the New Testament destroys and changes and ruins what we have in the Old Testament, they're wrong. And if someone says, the Old Testament is redundant and boring and doesn't matter anymore because we have the New Testament, they're wrong. Look again how Jesus puts it. Out of his treasure, he can bring things that are new and things that are old. If you think the old things must be bad and the new things must be good, you're wrong. They're both extremely valuable. They're both gold. They're both precious. They're both important. 
And Jesus says, therefore, that there is teaching that is gold and it's old. It's what we find in the Old Testament. Things about the old covenant between God and his people. Things about how we're commanded to love God and love our neighbours. Things about God's purposes and how he works through history. And Jesus says also there's teaching that is gold and it's new. The things we learn in the New Testament. Things about the new covenant that Jesus has made. Things about his death and resurrection and the salvation that we now see so clearly. And things about the kingdom of God and what it's like. Both things are gold to us. Both things are eternal and have always been true and have never contradicted. The only two differences between these old truths and these new truths is that God decided to reveal this half of his golden truth at this time and God decided to reveal that half of his golden truth at that time. And that some of these old truths find their fulfilment and perfecting in these new truths, these new covenant, this new covenant between God and his people. But there is gold everywhere you look in the word of God. So if you're someone who can bring gold out of stories of the Old Testament but not the Gospels of the New, you're missing something. If you're someone who can bring out gold from the letters of the New Testament but not the Psalms of the Old Testament, you're missing something. But if you're someone, as Jesus says, who can bring out gold that is old and gold that is new, well, you're complete. Because the old is the essential foundation of the new. And the new is the essential illuminator of the old. And so, the same question Jesus compassionately asks his own disciples in verse 51 is asked to you. Do you understand these things? Well, let's look at these three parables about the kingdom of heaven, the, these new golden truths, and see what we can understand together. So firstly, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's a very short, very simple parable. It begins with a man owning many things and ends with a man losing all of his things but just being left with one thing. And on that detail alone, that he starts with everything and ends with just one thing, how many of us would expect this to be a tragic tale? A story of loss and sadness like Job? But that's not what we find. We don't find a man who has everything, including his joy, taken away from him. We find a man who gives away all that he has and keeps his joy. And in fact, his joy increases and grows and becomes deeper 
And it's all because he finds this one treasure that transforms his life and everything about him. What is this treasure a picture of? Well, it's a picture of belonging to the kingdom, belonging to God's heavenly kingdom. That is the treasure. It's a picture of the joy and the forgiveness, the fulfillment that comes from living in this great kingdom. The treasure is life as a redeemed, adopted citizen and heir of this great kingdom. We experience the joys of it now, but we'll fully experience it in heaven. But notice where the treasure is when he finds it. It's not on display so that everyone can clearly view it. It's hidden away. Its existence and its value isn't obvious to everyone. It's something that's hidden away. And this life that Jesus is speaking of in the kingdom isn't clearly viewed by everyone, is it? Its existence and its value isn't obvious to everyone. There's a sense in which it is hidden from people. And maybe that describes you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, we speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. It was a hidden treasure. And in Colossians 1, I became a minister to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed We can see it now. It's been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory. The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hidden riches of knowing God. And for those of us who believe, we know, don't we, that these riches were once hidden to us. We heard it, we saw it, but we didn't understand how precious this treasure was, did we? Our own unforgiven sinfulness was like a veil that covered our eyes and and our ears to stop us from truly seeing its worth and hearing the truth. But then we know, don't we, what changed? We were like that until Christ came to us and the veil was taken away and just like the man in the parable, the worth and matchlessness of what was right in front of him became crystal clear. And so back to this man in the parable. Here's a man who finds a once hidden, buried treasure and it's worth is clear to him. But in order to rightly claim it and own it, he needs to own the field. And in order to own the field, he needs to sell everything that he owns so that he can buy it. 
Would that be a problem for you? Would that create a difficult dilemma for you in what to decide? Would that seem like too big an ask for you? Would you have the confidence and the courage to actually go through with that? This man, he doesn't even hesitate to know what to do. He joyfully sold every single possession just so that he could buy this field and own that one treasure. Now, if we knew a man who did something like that, how many of us would call him crazy? How many of us would try and reason with him and try and spell out to him the mistakes that he's making? How many of us would think he's lost his senses, he's out of his mind? How many of us would look at his life decisions and say, you're a fool? But then how many of us would be proved totally wrong when he turns up with the treasure that completely outweighs everything that he gave up. The egg wouldn't be on his face, it would be on ours. He doesn't need to come to his senses, he's the one with the most sense. And you know, when you and I let go of things in the world in order to hold on tightly to the things of God, people will look at that and say, fool. People will look at that and say, you're crazy. You've lost all your senses. You've lost your mind. But we're not to listen to them. We're to listen to the voice of Christ who said, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about shelter. Seek first the kingdom. And it seems the man in Jesus' parable took him at his word. He took that to heart, didn't he? And you can imagine him. With every item he sells, his excitement grows and his joy is building, knowing that he's one step closer with every item that he departs with. He's one step closer to owning this great treasure. And it didn't matter how luxurious his life was with this possession or how necessary this possession was to him. He was ready to give it all up to own this one thing. The house that you've spent thousands on trying to get just as you want it. He would joyfully give it up. The television that you're going to spend hours in front of this week. He would joyfully give it up. The car that you rely on to get from home to work or home to school, he would give it up joyfully. The pension fund you've been meticulously paying into for decades, he'd give it up joyfully. The football ticket or concert ticket that you can't wait to get your hands on, he would joyfully give it up. The clothes that bring you the style you pride yourself on, he would joyfully give that up. The phone that you're going to flick to as soon as the last hymn is done, he would joyfully give it up to own this one thing. He'd happily sell and part with all of those things 
just to own the one. How close does that come to describe how much you value Christ? Is it equivalent to the value that this man placed on his treasure? Surely no Christian here can deny that the gold of knowing Jesus and his joy, his forgiveness, his fulfillment outweighs every single treasure and pleasure we can find in this world. And surely no Christian here can deny, therefore, that if you, this week, loosen your grip on all the earthly treasures in your life and take hold of the treasures of heaven, then that will never be a waste, will it? That will never be a letdown or a disappointment, will it? Surely it won't. So when you're faced with sitting in front of the TV to watch the latest episode or going to the prayer meeting, you sell it all and take the treasure. When you're faced with working on your homework and getting the best grades you can or coming to the Sunday service, you sell it all and take the treasure. When you're faced with buying new furniture to upgrade your home or using the money to serve someone who is in desperate need, you sell it all and take the treasure. When you're faced with fitting in with the crowd to look good, or fitting in with God and risk not looking so good, you sell it all and take the treasure. Or do you? Are there comforts in your life that you need to be more ready to let go of? You may like those things, you may love those things, they may be good things, they may be necessary things, but if it's between them and Christ, I'm taking Christ. Should be our heart's cry. The life of someone who follows Christ is to prove the world wrong, that its treasures are better. Is that your life? Is that your heart? One that proves the world wrong, that says its treasures are better than what Christ offers. We're to prove the world wrong. Then, Jesus tells a second parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought the pearl. So here is a merchant on a mission to find the pearl. And he finds it. And the moment he finds it, his work is over. He doesn't need to refine it like gold. He doesn't need to cut it like a diamond. This pearl is complete as it is. Doesn't need to add anything. Doesn't need to work towards anything. He has his treasure. And at first glance, this second parable 
seems identical to the first. And you might think Jesus is doing what some preachers tend to do. He's just waffling on. He's repeating himself. He's already told us about a treasure. Now he's saying the same parable again. He's just switching the word treasure for pearl. But no. Notice that in the first parable, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure. Second parable, the kingdom of heaven is like the one seeking the treasure. First parable, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. The second parable, the kingdom of heaven is the one seeking this treasure, the merchant. Jesus doesn't only describe the kingdom of God as being a treasure, but he describes it by saying the effect on a heart that this treasure has. The kingdom itself is this great gold. And the one who belongs to the kingdom is like a merchant who seeks out this gold, who finds his great treasure and who makes any sacrifice he needs to, to make sure that he owns it. But he doesn't just stumble upon anything and say, that will do. He doesn't, does he? He's so totally satisfied by this great pearl of immense value that he too sells everything he has just to hold this one pearl. And so what does that tell you about the value of the pearl? That it's worth more than all his things combined. The value of all of them isn't worth the value of the pearl. That's right, isn't it? Or is it? Is the merchant wrong in making that trade? Has he made the biggest mistake of his life? Some of us in this room might answer that question in different ways. And if you're sitting here thinking, how can getting rid of everything in life and just you're left with one thing, how can that be a good deal? How can that be gain, as Paul calls it? How can that be winning? Surely that's losing. If that's your mindset, then to answer Jesus' question in verse 51 for you, you haven't understood. And let me tell you why you haven't understood. If you are someone who looks at a Christian who would give up all the things in this world in order to be a Christian and in order to know Jesus, and you don't consider that as winning, and it's pretty much losing in your mind, it's because your eyes are glued to all of the things that you would lose. Your eyes are glued to everything that you would never experience. Your eyes are glued to the world that you'd lose. And they would be so glued that you don't even turn for a second to consider the value of the thing you could gain. And so your life is one that every day chooses temporary pleasure over this eternal treasure. 
that is why you don't understand. You're like the rich young ruler who Jesus spoke to and said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. And you walk away just like the ruler did. Some of you are walking the exact same way this morning. And the reason he walked away is the reason you're walking his way. Because doing what Jesus said isn't gain to you. Doing that is losing to you. Someone might say, but the rich young ruler was obedient. He kept the law and he cared about Jesus enough to ask him. Yes, he did, but the things that were truly a profit to him were the riches he had on earth, not the treasures of heaven. Ask yourself, could you lose all the things you hold most dear on earth and your life still be in profit? Everything you hold most dear, gone. And a banner over your life still reads, gain, profit, I'm in profit. If you don't even think that's possible, it is possible. But only by being convinced that Jesus, the saviour you trust in, is such an amazing gain that no amount of loss on this earth could ever subtract from him. That no amount of loss could ever make a dent in the great gain that you receive from knowing him as your saviour, as your Lord. So you could lose your possessions. You could lose your reputation. You could lose your health. You could lose your status. You could miss out on all the things your friends are doing. You can miss out on success in the world. You can miss out on the pleasure of sin. But the Bible promises you that nothing you could lose can make a dent in the profit Jesus can give. That's how great and worthwhile owning this pearl is. Do you believe the God who never lies when he offers that? And so Jesus' question in verse 51 comes back to you. Have you understood these things? Are you understanding these things? And then finally, Jesus gives a third parable. The kingdom is like a dragnet. And the dragnet was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The parable is very different to the first two, but don't think that the first two 
have no bearing on this one. The dragnet would be a net that would be extremely, extremely wide. Some would even be as, as large as half a football field. That's how huge these nets would be, and they'd catch so a huge number of fish. And here in Jesus' parable, there's a dragnet that is cast out and catches a multitude of fish. But of course, you can't program the net to only catch the good fish. You get a mix of the good fish that are healthy, that you can eat or sell, and, and the bad fish that aren't worth anything to you. And so, once you've pulled the net in, there needs to be a separation. There needs to be a division. And in the same way, one day the people in this room will be separated and divided. The dragnet is the gospel, the good news of this kingdom that is to come. The call has gone out into the world, the message of hope and rescue and redemption, and you have heard it. You have been caught by this net. There isn't a single person in this room who isn't inside this dragnet. Every one of us has heard about the gospel. You've heard about your sin and how wicked it is before God. You've heard about the judgment that God must bring because of how good and just he is. You've heard about Christ and what he did to die and rise so that sinners can have life. You've heard about repenting and believing so that his eternal life can be given to you. And so here you are, sitting among God's people. Here you are, sitting in God's church. Here you are, inside the dragnet. But though all of us are inside this dragnet, not all of us are the good fish. You might be among your friends who are good fish. You might be sitting with family members who are good fish. But that has no bearing at all on the kind of fish you are. And you will stick out as a good fish or stick out as a bad fish when the fisherman has to separate and divide between the fish in the dragnet. And for the good fish, you may be surrounded by bad fish, but you can know that you will be gathered into the vessel, into the kingdom, because that is where you belong. That may be you. For the bad fish, you may be surrounded by good fish, but you will be cast away because it's where you belong. That may be you. And so here's probably the biggest question of the sermon. What is it that makes the good fish good fish? It's simply this. They love the treasure. The good fish will look at everything 
in their life. And they will look at losing everything in their life, but keeping Jesus and say, yes, that is gain. The bad fish will look at losing everything in their life, everything precious to them, and getting to keep Jesus and say, that's a loss to me. I count that as losing, that isn't winning. That's what makes the difference between good fish and bad fish. All of them are inside the net. All of them have heard, all of them have considered the same message, the same treasure. But the good fish have loved it and taken hold of it with joy. The bad fish don't want to take it right now, thank you very much. I have gain elsewhere. The difference doesn't come by what you say you are. The difference doesn't come by what you declared yourself to be when you came into the net the first time. The difference doesn't come by what you feel yourself to be. The difference doesn't come by what the other fish around you believe you to be. The difference comes by what you treasure. The markings on you are undeniable and clear. There's no unclearness in the eyes of the fisherman. For the good fish, he sees what you are. He sees where your treasure is. The marks on you are clear to him. And for the bad fish, he sees what you are. He knows what you treasure. The marks on you are clear to him also. So what is it that your heart treasures? Is it the pearl? Or is it everything else you own? Is it being forgiven your sins? Or enjoying your sins? Is it having fellowship with God? Or having fun with your friends? Is it the freedom from sin? Or freedom to sin? Is it trusting your creator? Or trusting your own heart? Is it doing the things he has for you to do? Or doing whatever you want to do? What is it? that you treasure. In a few moments, we're gonna sing. And the first hymn of this, the first verse of this hymn either describes you and your desire and your aim, or it's the opposite of you. And you don't really care of it being said of you. Either your life is saying, when I survey when I look upon the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain in this world I count but loss. I pour contempt or hatred on all my pride. That's the song of the good fish. That's the song of the men in the parables. Or, your life is saying, when I survey the wondrous cross 
on which the Prince of Glory died. I know his gift, but count him loss. The gain I love, my ways, my pride. That is the song of the bad fish. But let me say something to encourage you. Every good fish was once bad. Every fish who was now being declared good was once bad. Everyone here who will sing the song of the good fish used to sing the song of the bad fish and loved it. But we were blind. Think of the merchant. The merchant beginning his hunt for the pearl was a bad fish. The merchant searching high and low for the pearl was a bad fish. The merchant finding and seeing the pearl was a bad fish. What made him a good fish? He loved it. He bought it. He owned it. He held it. He treasured it. So when you survey this wondrous cross, what do you say? <laughs> 